This morning, we have the privilege of having with us Dr. Paul Koistra. Uh, Dr. Paul Koistra is going to be opening up God's Word for us. Let me give you a little background of Dr. Koistra. Uh, he, too, started the ministry in youth ministry. Anybody who really is worth anything starts off in youth ministry. <laughs> Forget that. But uh, Dr. Koistra did a few years of student ministry, and then God called him to be a professor at Bellhaven University. Uh, that wasn't quite good enough, so he became a professor at Reform Theological Seminary in Jacksonville. Uh, and then he actually became the uh, president of our own denomination seminary, Covenant Seminary in St. Louis. Uh, really did a great work there. And then God called him to be the head of our, our mission board, mission to, North America, mission to the World. And uh, he has been there for about 20 years. Is that correct? Uh, he is here with his wife, Sandy. It's great to have them. But here's what I want you to know about Paul Koistra. This man loves Jesus. And this man believes in the power of the gospel. He believes that prayer changes things. And he believes that, that God's spirit is real and that we are to proclaim good news here and around the world. He's seen God work powerfully. And I love it because God chooses to use humble servants to do great things. Ordinary people like you, like me like Paul. And so, Paul, it's great to have you. Blessings to you. And let me tell you, he's showing off. He preached a sermon in the early service and says, I'm going to change it up and preach another one in the late service. That's a show off, but I'm kidding you. That's awesome <laughs> yeah. stuff. Blessings. Well, I do. I'm going to, that, that's the same introduction we had in the first service, so I'm going to say the same thing I said in the first service, and that is, uh, I don't like that introduction very well because, you see, uh, all I ever was in the church was a youth pastor. I started as a youth pastor, I ended as a youth pastor. So when I went to Reform Seminary, they never asked me, you know, were you the senior pastor of a church? I didn't tell them. And when I went to Covenant Seminary as the president, they never asked me what I did, so I didn't tell them, and uh, they never knew. And then I took this job, and uh, I didn't tell them. And uh, to this day, I just keep going along, and all I've got for credentials are a youth pastor. That's it. Uh, that's the, the limit of my ministry in the church. So um, don't tell anybody, okay, because I probably won't be able to get a job if you tell them. While I've been here, somebody actually said to me, Atlanta, I don't like Atlanta. I wouldn't want to live in Atlanta because eight lanes of traffic going in the same way, in the same direction. I couldn't believe that because I know where that place is. There's only one place where there's eight lanes of traffic. It's right by our office. It's called the 85-316 split. And that place does amaze me. I don't see how you can get eight lanes of traffic going in the same direction uh, all 70 miles an hour. Think about it for a minute. What do you think? Once in a while, they bump into one another. Guess what happens then? They're not going 70 miles an hour then. They're not even going seven miles an hour. Everything comes to a screeching halt. And it's like a big parking lot out there. And it can be that way for hours. Uh, you see somebody over here reading the newspaper, somebody over here fixing their hair, somebody eating their breakfast. These are the drivers, too. These are not passengers, you know. And if I'm out there, what I'm thinking is if these people would get out of here, I'd be a lot happier person because i got somewhere to go. Uh, crowds, you know, they, they, they bother me. I actually have a cottage in the mountains, and I go up there because there's no people. They're just squirrels, and I kind of like squirrels. You know, because you can do battle with them, you know, and they try to get your bird seed, and you try to figure out ways to keep them out of your bird seed. I got, I got one of these bird feeders right now where if a 
bird gets on it, they just eat the seed. But if a squirrel gets on it, it spins them around real fast and throws them off. And uh, I actually thought this was going to be, you know, kind of like a circus. You know, we just sit there and look out the window every day and see this going on. But in fact, squirrels are smarter than you think. No kidding. One squirrel gets on that thing, spins them around real fast. He goes slinging off. And then he must go around the neighborhood telling every other squirrel, don't get on that thing because they come and look at it. But it's been a waste, really. My point is, sometimes I'm better with squirrels than I am with people. But I'm going to read the scriptures here. And as I read them, this is what I want you to concentrate on. See what God says. Because I call this the heart of God. And I want you to see what Jesus says about crowds, okay? I think it's going to be up here. I'm not sure if it's projected or not because... It's not in your bulletin, and they said they would project it. Um, There it is. Yes, good. And Jesus went through all the cities and villages, teaching their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. Now, here it is. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless. They were like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we come before you and uh, most of us got up and ate breakfast because if we don't eat, we don't have the energy to go on for the day. And we need to be fed spiritually as well as physically. And we've come now in this worship service to hear you speak to us and feed us. We selected this text and we pray that you will prepare it in just the right way for each of us so that it will feed us spiritually. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, there are several things you can see from this text. And the first thing you can see is in that first verse, 35. And Jesus went through all the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. You see it? Jesus went teaching, Jesus went preaching, and Jesus went healing. You know, when Jesus went out to minister to people, he didn't just see them as, you know, somebody uh, that uh, needed their soul saved. He saw somebody created in the image of God. He saw somebody that he loved. And he saw somebody that had needs, and he saw all of their needs. And he ministered to them. They needed to hear. They needed to be healed. And mission work is always like that. Evangelism is always like that. We reach out and touch people where they have a need. And you can't minister to anybody unless you do that, right? I mean, if you want to reach your neighbor next door... You could go next door and you could ring a doorbell and when they come, you could grab them by the lapel and jerk them forward and and say, do you know that uh, you're going to hell? But I've got some good news for you. God's made a way for you to escape. He sent his son into this world to die for you. All you have to do is receive him as your savior. Now, how many think that would work? Probably not many of you, but I've got a little surprise for you. It actually could work. You know why? Because we got a sovereign God. He can use anything. And he does often use really poor evangelism and even poor missions to bring people to faith. But that's not a good idea. If you want to reach your neighbor next door, maybe you ought to get to know your neighbor next door. Maybe you ought to invite him over for a meal 
or maybe you ought to, if you got kids, let the kids play with their kids. You know, some way that you can touch them. You can touch their life, where they live. Your missionaries do that. And uh, you know that. People go out from this church and they do all kinds of things. And there's doctors that go and there's teachers that go. And, and, and they go in the name of Christ. And, and they're there to introduce people to the Lord. But they have many different ways to touch people with their needs. You know, when, um, when I first started preaching, I was in college. And, and I always had a crowd. But not because I was a good preacher, I will tell you. Uh, I was the worst preacher probably on the planet. And, and by the way, I have, all the, I have all the sermons I've ever preached. They're in this big file cabinet. And I have those first 25 sermons. And I, I keep thinking I've got to burn those things, you know, because they were bad and I don't want the kids to read them, you know. You know, if you're like me, I'm going to let the kids clean up the mess when I'm gone. But I don't want them to mess with those 25 sermons. They're just really bad. So why then did I have a crowd? Well, it's simple. I preached at the Union Gospel Mission down on the Bowery. And you see, you couldn't get the soup and sandwich till you came and heard the sermon. But I want you to know that the soup and sandwich is not just a wedge to get into people's lives so that you can minister to them. The soup and the sandwich is part of ministry. Because people have to see that God cares because you care. I sometimes ask people, you know, would, would anybody believe that God loved them because of the way you love them, for instance? That's the way God reaches people. He reaches people by touching them where they have a need. Jesus did it, and we do it. He went preaching. He went teaching. And he went healing. The second thing we see in this text is in the next verse. Verse 36, it says, When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and they were helpless. They were like sheep without a shepherd. You see, when Jesus saw people, he didn't want to get away. He didn't want to go to the cottage. When Jesus saw people, he was deeply moved by their need. Actually, the word compassion here in the original The way we translate it, at least it seems to me, is to be a little weak. I actually like to translate this passage when Jesus saw the crowds. He had more than compassion. He was brokenhearted because they were harassed and they were helpless like sheep without a shepherd. You see, if you don't care about lostness like Jesus cared about lostness, You're never going to get this thing called missions. You've got to believe that people have been created in the image of God, but they are lost. They're separated from God, and that is not a small thing. That is an enormous thing. It's a serious thing. It's the most serious thing that can happen to a person. When Jesus saw them, he was brokenhearted. How about your heart? How do you feel about lostness? In any way do you feel like Jesus and his concern for the lost? You know, I've never seen a sheep without a shepherd. The sheep that are around where we live, they're in a fence, a big pasture, and 
I suppose when somebody wants to get them, they send a dog in, the dog chases them and, and so on, gets them over by the gate. I've been to Israel, though, and, and I've seen shepherds and sheep, and I'll tell you one thing, sheep stay close to the shepherd. I've seen shepherds going out of Bethlehem, and, and the sheep are following along like dogs, and uh, the shepherd doesn't even look backwards. He, he doesn't look to see if the sheep are coming. He knows they're coming. Those sheep know intuitively that if I get too far away from that shepherd, I'm a goner. I'm lost. Because you see, if they get away from the shepherd, they're going to perish. And that's what Jesus is telling us here. People separated from him are perishing. That's what lostness means. I say I've never seen a sheep without a shepherd, but I think I got an illustration from our family. When our kids were growing up, my youngest child, she thought God put her on this earth for the purpose of um, rescuing all stray animals. And I mean, she took this job seriously, let me tell you. She took it so seriously that we trained her that if you see a dog with a collar on, doesn't matter where it is, it's not lost. <laughs> and if we're going down the road and we see a dog over here without a collar, we'd say, Sydney, look over here. Because if she saw the dog, I had this wailing in the back seat trying to get me to turn around, you know, go and rescue that dog. Well, the trouble with kids is they grow up. When they grow up, they get their own driver's license, and Sydney got her driver's license, and right after she got her driver's license, she brought home eight dogs within a three-month period. <laughs> and uh, they were not nice dogs, let me tell you. They chewed on things dogs shouldn't chew on. They messed on things dogs shouldn't mess on. So I had to make a new rule. I call it the 11th commandment, and that is, thou shall not bring home any more dogs, you hear? Went off preaching one weekend uh, at a missions conference like this, but it was before the days of cell phones. And uh, we were coming back, and we were one hour from home. We pulled into a rest area, used the phone there, called the kids. They were old enough to stay home, you know. They didn't want to travel with their parents anymore. And uh, called them and told them, we'll be home in one hour. Now, you know why you do that. Well, when we drove down the driveway, these three adult teenagers boiled out of the house like bees coming out of a hive being stuck by a stick, you know? And they began to hug on us and kiss on us and tell us that we were the greatest parents that had ever lived. And so I looked around. The house was still standing. I was trying to figure out what the world we were dealing with here, and all of a sudden it did dawn on me, and I said, I'll tell you what, it better not be a dog. To which the oldest daughter went to Ballin, so I knew it was a dog. And Paul Jr. went to the basement stairs, and he called down in the basement, and he, he said, Hey, Murphy, come on up and meet Dad. They'd already named this beast. And up the stairs lumbered the largest red golden retriever you'd ever seen. A pitiful dog. Stomach all shrunk up. Hair all matted down. 75 great big fat ticks all over her. I took her to the vet. You know what the vet said? She said, if I hadn't gotten her there that night, Murphy probably wouldn't have made it till the morning. She was like a sheep without a shepherd. She was perishing, if you will. 
You know, when you see people up, driving up and down the road out here and they look just fine, they're dressed nicely, they've got SUVs, you know, they've got everything that everyone, any could, anybody could want. If you knew that they did not know Jesus, would you look at those people and see people with hair all matted down, stomachs all shriveled up, and 75 great big fat ticks all over them? Because that's what you ought to see. Those are people that are perishing. That's what Jesus said. He had compassion on them. He was brokenhearted. I ask you again, in your own heart, does that kind of lostness bother you? Because if it doesn't, you'll never get missions. We can become very complacent about the fact that we know and they don't, and okay. Can't we? I know that in my own heart. It's not that I'm judging you. It's amazing to me how we can be rescued and then not care that other people are still drowning. You see, we need to hear from the Lord. We need to hear what he says. We need to respond to his words. Now, this text also tells us that there are two problems. Notice in verse 37, then he said to his disciples, a harvest is plentiful, that's the first problem, but the labors are few. The harvest is plentiful, the labors are few. I want to tell you something about the first problem. Actually, the original language in, in this particular text is not talking about the fact that there's so much out there to pick. If you got your combines going, you know, and you got everything in that you wouldn't have enough barns and silos and bands and whatever they put grain in, you wouldn't have enough room. That's not what it's talking about. Wouldn't be a bad idea, but that's not what it's talking about. It's talking about the fact that the harvest is white. That is, it is ripe. There's a difference between ripe and a lot, isn't there? Ripe and a lot. What's the difference? Ripeness means there is an urgency to this business of missions. Do you see that? If you don't pick stuff that is ripe, what happens to it? It rots. Look, I'm aware of the fact that the Bible talks about God brings those whom he wills, and uh, nobody should be lost that God claims. And, and all of that, I, I believe it. The Bible says it. I also believe the Bible says there's an urgency to the business of missions. Because it says so right here. We're dealing with a ripe harvest. And we can't wait for somebody else. They can come along later and take care of the harvest then. But God's given us this harvest. Here in Orlando, Florida, the United States, and the other parts of the world. And he calls us to be involved in that harvest. But he says there's a second problem. There's not enough people that want to be involved. It says here that the harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. You know, often in mission conferences, they ask me to talk about money. Because you can't go on the mission field if you don't have money. And there are lots of missionaries wanting to go and they don't have support and all of that. But do you see that the problem in missions has never been really money? For 2,000 years, the problem has been the same. It was the same in Jesus' time. It's the same now. There's not enough people. If it's money, well, there's plenty of money, I can tell you that. It's just not enough people willing to give it. 
If it's people we need to go, there's not enough people willing to go. If it's prayer we need, there's not enough people to pray. It does seem to me that there's a sense in which God is recruiting us. And I actually think it's fair for me to say this to you. God wants every one of us involved in his great kingdom work. We're not all going to go, but some will, maybe some here. Not all of us can give great amounts of money, although most of us can give something. All of us can pray, though. We talked about prayer last night, one of my favorite subjects, because I've seen what a difference it can make. You know, I used to think missionaries, when they got up, you know, they would, they would talk about the fact that uh, they would like you to be one of their prayer partners. And you can sign up on the table outside to be one of our prayer partners, and we'll send you a prayer letter once a month or once a quarter, it's depending on how they do it there. And I thought that was a sneaky way to say, I need your money. You know, because you can't keep saying that. You wear people out, so you say, will you please play for me? But since I took this job 20 years ago, and I've known this now for 20 years, if you were to say to a missionary, I can only do one of two things. I could give or I could pray. You know which one they'd ask you to do? Pray. Because they know that without the prayer, the money is useless. All of us can be involved. All of us can be involved. Now, this text even tells us how we're to deal with the two problems. It's in the last verse. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out labors into his harvest. See, the answer to the problem of the ripeness of the harvest and the lack of harvesters is not that I should lay a guilt trip on you. I've probably done that, and I don't apologize because, frankly, I don't know what else to do. But that's not going to change your heart. That's not going to change anything. The secret is pray. We need to get down on our knees praying that God will move our people, that he'll move us, that he will show us opportunities, that he will give us opportunities. We need to pray for the Holy Spirit to come and fill our hearts and our lives. We need to praise God for what he's doing around the world. In the early service, I talked about that, and I talked about the way God is moving in the world. Let me tell you, more people are coming to Christ now than at any other time in the history of the church, period. I mean that, and that's not an exaggeration. The church is growing faster than it's ever grown before. I know it's hard to believe sometimes when we live here in America, although I want to tell you, people are coming to faith here too. You know, we see the church lacking influence in our culture some. Don't lose heart. There are lots and lots of people coming to faith here. There are other places where it's just miraculous. I I talked about Nepal. In 1956, there were three churches and less than 200 Christians in the whole country. Today, there are 1.2 million Christians in the whole country. We can't train enough pastors fast enough to go out there and help the churches, plant the churches, feed the people, disciple the people, and so on. So we pray. We pray to the Lord of the harvest. We ask him, first of all, what? I think we pray for ourselves. Lord, would you give me a heart like Jesus? 
for I just can't stand lostness. It bothers me so much. And you help me to do something about it. You show me. I don't know what to do, but you do. How would you use me? Your pastor said in the introduction uh, that God uses people like you and me. I can attest to that. I've been the president of the seminary, but nobody wanted me to have that job. I was the last man standing. He takes people like you and me and does big things with small people because he's a big God. So we pray for ourselves that he would help us to be part of the harvest. That's where we begin. And then you can pray for missionaries. Pray for the missionary teams that are going out from your church. Pray that this church, as mission-minded as it is, will grow in that heart for lost people. Pray that, uh, well, pray that this, this sanctuary would fill up so much that they'd have to sit in this front row here. It'd really be something, wouldn't it? Let me tell you a story in ending. There was a man named Carl Frederick Heyer. If you know ethnic names, you know he wasn't a Presbyterian. But in 1840, he was 47 years of age. He decided he was going to be a missionary. He went to India. He went to a place in India where there had never been a missionary before. And then after he'd been there for a while, actually um, six years, he came back to the United States. He was 53 years of age. And he came back and he got a second degree. He already had a theology degree. He got a medical degree. He thought he could do better if he had both degrees, sort of like that first point in the sermon, if you remember that far back, okay? And he went back, uh, and um, uh, he, when he was uh, 57 years of age, uh, it didn't take that long, evidently, to get a medical degree in those days. And he stayed there until uh, he retired, at the age of 65. He came back to the United States, because that's what you're supposed to do when you get to be 65, right? You get a gold watch, I guess. And you come back. But Frederick Curtis Heyer was not that kind of man. He did not get a gold watch. He actually started planting churches in Wisconsin and Minnesota. And I think he planted about six or seven churches. But while he was doing all that, something really bad happened in this country. It's called the Civil War. Or I married a lady from Mississippi. They don't call it that there. Um, But nevertheless, uh, it's the worst war that America has ever had. More, more men died in the Civil War than all of the other wars that America's ever fought combined. I'm sure you knew that. It was so devastating that there were a lot of churches that no longer had pastors in the United States. Can you imagine then what it did to the mission field? And He heard that there were no missionaries left back there in India where he had ministered. So Carl Frederick Heyer decided it was his job to find a laborer. And he, when he would go around preaching, he would point at people and say, maybe God wants you to go to India. And he'd point right at them, you know, and say, maybe God wants you to go to India. He kept that up for three years until he was 77 years of age. Started that at 75. And uh, when he was 78, he hadn't found anybody yet. So you know what he did? 
went back to India himself. Carl Frederick Heyer never came back to the United States. They buried him in India. Now, why do I tell you that story? Doesn't that sound like a man that sees lost people and he just can't stand it? And he says to the Lord of the harvest, okay, send me. Send me. And all of us can raise our hand and say, God, use me. Whether it's to speak a word in your name, help people to go, short-term missions, maybe career missions. Lord, you're the Lord of the harvest. Will you use me? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do ask that you will use these words to speak to our hearts. We see Jesus' heart. He's brokenhearted when he sees lostness. Will you give us hearts like that where we just can't stand lostness any more than he can? And will you use us any way you want to? Father, if you want us to go to India at the age of 77, we'll go. If you want us to stay bedridden and pray, we'll do that. But we want to respond to our Lord, the Lord of the harvest. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.